Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, hey, it's great to have you with us as always on this program as we're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays for our special edition at 9 a.m. as we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We uh, also... Uh, our podcasting at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And we have a video cast where you can watch these videos uh, at YouTube. Tell me your story. Look for the guy with the black hat. We would love to have you participate by uh, listening to and watching these podcasts. And hopefully you'll subscribe. And if you like the work that we're bringing you, the, the conversation that we're, we're uh, uh, having with our guests, and you'd like to support the work we're doing financially, we would greatly appreciate that. We have a PayPal account, which is for your security as well as ours, to support this program. And all you have to do when you're uh, going to that website and you're wanting to contribute, it's going to ask you for an email address. Well, the email address you want to put in there is mine, richard at richarddugan.com. I made it real hard, richard at richarddugan.com. We also ask you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, where we're asking you to spend time going within and listening to that still small voice. Well, today we are going to talk about the secrets. Shh, don't tell anybody. These are secrets, secrets to living a fantastic life. Pillars of success. Yes, pillars of success with our guest, Dr. Alan Stephen Leica. And uh, Dr. Leica, thank you so much for uh, being with us here on the program. I've been looking forward to this. Just your, The title of the book itself is just so intriguing. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. And once you hear my story, you'll know it's a pleasure to be anywhere. <laughs> Well, you know the old joke, right? Exactly. It's, 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 it's a pleasure to be anywhere rather than six feet under, as they say. That's about what my story's about. Yeah. Well, you went through some pretty horrific stuff, which, which is what we're going to talk about around 2003. And this is often what, uh, matter of fact, there's a rather famous inspirational uh, speaker and writer and uh, uh, what have you, who's since passed, of course, uh, just obviously because, you know, we get to a certain point where the body just says, hey, uh, you got to get a new vehicle. OK, it's time to upgrade. And you were told, get your, get your affairs in order. You have six months to live. You have uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Now, I don't know what Norman, I think it was Norman Vincent Peale who was told, that he only had a short time to live, and he said no, and he started watching all kinds of uh, uh, movies and what have you that made him laugh, like the Three Stooges and so forth. I love watching, I know they're stupid, adult cartoons like Family Guy and uh, King of the Hill and uh, Futurama and so forth. I still like Rocky and Bullwinkle and some of those others. I grew well, up on I grew Warner up Brothers. on Bugs Bunny, and so, Bugs you Bunny. know, it was very easy to, to love that stuff. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I love to laugh and I have been complimented and I say this, I don't say this boastfully, but I was complimented by a good friend of mine who says, I love your laugh. You have a great laugh. Um, tell us uh, about what went through your mind uh, when you, when those words finally hit you, knowing what you may have known at that time about what Lou Gehrig's disease was. And well, is. you know, the first thing I asked the doctor, I said, is there a way to prove this diagnosis? 
And he said, of course, on autopsy. Oh. And, I, and I said, I'm not going to die to prove you wrong. You know, <laughs> Jeez. You know when you go through something like this, uh, you go through the phases of death and dying that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote in her book mm -hmm. on death and dying. You go through anger. Like, Richard, you, you, I could punch you in the face if you told me that diagnosis. I mean, I was angry at the world. I was mad. I was angry. My wife knew I was angry. My kids knew I was angry. My staff knew I was angry. My patients knew I was angry. I was angry. It was just pissed off at the world. You go through bargaining. You say, oh, God, please don't let this happen. I will do anything if you don't let this happen. You go through denial. And I don't mean the river in Egypt. <laughs> you go through denial. You deny you have it. I don't have anything wrong. There's nothing going wrong with my life. But you know, things started going wrong. My right foot, it had a right foot drop. My right hand wasn't working like it used to. So I was starting to get symptoms of a neurological illness. And, and then you go through depression, Richard. Have you ever been depressed? On occasion, yes. Yeah. Well, this was a bad depression. This was one where I'd lie in bed all day saying, why the hell should I get out of bed? I'm going to die anyhow. You know, the world is black. You can't eat. You can't sleep. It's a world. It's a miserable, miserable place to be in that black hole yeah. of depression. So, so, you know, I even had a plan to kill myself because I said, geez, if I'm going to die, I'm not going to die like people with ALS gasping for air. I'm not going to go there. So before I did that, though, I went to my wife and I said, dear, what do I have? My wife's a doctor. She said, I haven't got the faintest idea. And I said, but she said, you're smart. You'll figure it out. I said, dear, I've seen hundreds of doctors. They couldn't figure it out. How can I figure it out? She said, you're smarter than them. You can figure it out. Well, back in 2003, 2004, something new was invented. You might have heard about it. It's called the internet. You ever hear of that, Richard? <laughs> yeah, Lincoln mentioned it. He says, never believe anything you hear, read on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th I think Al Gore probably got his act together there and invented the internet, at least so he boasts. He yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so, so, you know, I had friends that were nerds back then, and they got me on. You know, you had something called a dial-on connection. You remember those? Oh, yeah. Dial-up connections were absolutely lovely. And that, by the that's way, just when your phone got on the cradle and it went, yeah. Rie -a, rie -a, yeah. rie -a, and by the way, minutes. as as a sidebar to that, the old, uh, the, the current system we have for radio and television, it's called, it once was called the emergency broadcast system. It's now called the emergency alert system. And um, when I first heard it, the uh, the alert system, it actually sounds like a dial-up modem. So I'm going, who put the modem on the air? <laughs> Continue, if you would, please. Yeah, there you go. But, you know, my friends were smart. They got me on the Internet. They started looking at the Internet. And, you know, the Internet's like the world's best library that's mm -hmm. full of the best resources, but it's also full of garbage cans. And you can't tell the garbage cans from the best resources. That's the problem with the internet. But, you know, I hunted and I hunted and I found a doctor in Colorado Springs, Colorado, by the name of David Martz. 
Now, David had a story very similar to mine, but a little bit different. He got worse much more rapidly, and he was on his deathbed when doctors from around the world were coming to say goodbye to David because he was a well-loved, well-known doctor. And a doctor came up from Texas, a Dr. Harvey, and he looked at David and he said, David, I don't think you have ALS. I don't think you have Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm. David whispered because that's all he could do at that time. He said, what do I have? The doctor from Texas said, you have something called chronic Lyme's disease. You've been bitten by a tick and it's caused a chronic neurological illness that looks just like ALS. And David said, well, what do I do? The doctor from Texas said, I'm going to start you on treatment. And he did. And like Lazarus, he arose from the dead. Mm. Within two weeks, he was back to normal. Wow. Wow. I knew I had to get in touch with David. So I phoned every hospital in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I got in touch with David at the Methodist Hospital. And there David said, you know, Dr. Laika, I think history is repeating itself. Can you come down to see me? I said, when? He said, right now. (laughs) I, 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 I said, David, it's Thanksgiving up here in Canada. I said, I can't come down. My wife's invited 50 people over. He said, aren't there any planes in Canada? (laughs) (laughs) So so I went to my wife. I apologized. I said, I'm not going to be here for Thanksgiving. She said, where are you going? You always seem to be away teaching or doing other stuff. And I said, well, dear, there's a doctor in Colorado Springs that claims he can help me. She says, what are you waiting for? I'll pack your bags for you. Let's get to the airport. I'll drive you there. (laughs) Wow. That's real love. That's real love of a spouse, I'll tell you. So I got to Colorado Springs. Now, have you ever, I, flight from Edmonton to Denver is great. The flight from Denver to Colorado Springs is a rinky-dink puddle jumper. You ever been on one of those, Richard? Uh, well, I haven't been on a puddle jumper, but I've been in very small planes. Well, the problem with this plane going from Denver to Colorado Springs is the air is coming off the desert at the end of the day, and that creates turbulence. So the plane will be flying around, and then all of a sudden it'll drop 100 feet without warning. And then it'll climb back up, and then it'll drop 200 feet without warning. So there wasn't a person that wasn't green by the time they they crawled off that 15-minute flight. Well, I crawled off, and there was David on the tarmac to meet me. It was, you know, they didn't all have all those high security precautions back then. Yeah. He was a well-known doctor. He was meeting a well-known doctor. No big deal. So I went to see him. We talked. He said, yes, history is repeating himself. And because of him, I'm still alive and thriving in this day and age. But you know, when you go through something like that, Richard, you start wondering, you start, did my life really matter? Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter? Did I really do the things in life that I should have done? So I started giving back and I started to support a charity called Women of Distinction run by the local YWCA. And this is where we acknowledge women for all their accomplishments in society. Because even yet, even today, women are not acknowledged to the extent that they should be. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I started sponsoring this and a lady applied for one of the awards called the Turning Point Award. Her name was Harriet Tinka. And she came in and she won the award and she said, could I buy you lunch, Dr. Laika? I said, sure, let's talk. Now Harriet's story, 
is, is, is remarkable in that. She was a world leading model walking the runways of New York, Paris, Milan, and she grew tired of the industry because it's a cutthroat, awful industry. So she was going back to her second love, which was accounting. So she decided to become an accountant and she uh, went to the University of Calgary in Calgary, Alberta to learn to study it. And she met a psychopath, a terrible psychopath who ended up kidnapping her, stabbing her and leaving her for dead. Jeez. Now, Harriet doesn't even know how she got to the hospital, but she got to the hospital. He might have driven her out of regrets or things like that, but she ended up there. And during her recovery, she was moping around and a little girl by the name of Amber wheeled up in a wheelchair. Amber was in a wheelchair because she had lost both of her legs. She was in a bad car accident and she lost both of her parents in that car accident. Mm. Yet she was happy as a lark. She looked at, at uh, Harriet and said, Harriet, what are you moping for? She said, look at me. I'm, I don't have my legs anymore. I don't have my parents, but I'm going to have a great life. And she said, I challenge you to do the same thing. I challenge you to use your story to empower others. So Harriet wanted to have lunch with me so that she could convince me to write a book with her. And that's what we wrote. We wrote The Secrets of Success. And it took us six years to write it, in which we wrote down all the amazing things we found. Now, the amazing things we found, we call golden pearls. And the reason, you know, I wanted to call them golden nuggets, but Harriet said, that sounds too much like McDonald's to me. <laughs> So the golden pearl is a great analogy because first of all, there are golden pearls in this world. They exist in the South Pacific and a pearl is an amazing object because it forms because a little grain of sand gets inside of an oyster and it gets traumatized. And then the pearl, instead of being destroyed by it, walls us off with this amazing material called luster. And that luster makes the beautiful pearl it is. Mm. The trauma induces the pearl. You know, so it, it's a great analogy for what we went through. The, the trauma caused us to find some amazing things in life. And that's why we wrote this beautiful book. And it is indeed beautiful, and we are talking with its author. His name is Dr. Alan Stephen Alika, and uh, we are here on what program? Tell me your story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's really a pleasure, as with every program, to have our special guests with us, and in this case, Dr. Alan Stephen Lyka, uh, and uh, talking about the, the work that he has uh, put together uh, called, uh, basically, the, six, the Secrets, and as I said before, don't tell anybody else the secrets to, no, I want you to tell everybody, the secrets to living a fantastic life, P uh, pillars of success. I want to ask you in regards to, in regards to uh, um, the, these, these pillars, there are, there are basically, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there are 13. Yes. Now that is, for some, I'm very much into patterns. I'm very much into sequences. I have um, what is called a kinesthesia. And no, it is not a disease I need to take something for or have something removed. 
Uh, it is where I see numbers and letters in color. And when I see the number 13, it, it looks really kind of cool. Uh, was it because you ran out, couldn't find any more, or it just worked out that way you that know, was you came up with 13? Harriet and I came up with 20 golden pearls. Oh. But, but then we put it out to the audience, and the audience said, could you please cut this down? There's just too many pearls in this necklace, they said. You need to really only concentrate on a few of them. Mm -hmm. So we chose our favorite pearls and put them together in the, in the necklace because people said, no, that's just too much. People can't swallow that many. Well, I can appreciate that. I really can. Um, I My book called Choices only has five five steps in my case. Um, so it's fairly simple. And I've read a number of other books that have seven this and four that and six that. And I, I get that 20 would be rather monumental, but I don't know. Uh, it's It doesn't sound like, it's not like these pearls have to be, so to speak, taken uh, in any particular order. So why why wouldn't you just go ahead and put all twenty in? I mean, again, well, I understand. You know, it gives it gives me a second chance to write another book. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Absolutely, a sequel, if you will, uh, yes. volume two. That's very volume cool. two. And that would be seven. You'd have seven more pearls. Yes. How and, about and that, that, folks? That, that would be a nice number too. Thirteen seven. I I love those odd numbers. Absolutely. Matter of fact. If I'm not mistaken, in addition to being odd, they're also prime. Yes. For whatever that's worth, ladies and gentlemen, for whatever that's worth. We're talking here on the program, uh, having a great conversation with our very special guest, Dr. Alan Stephen Leica, and he has, uh, quite honestly, a very fascinating book. You're going to want to get a copy of it, I do believe. Uh, and you can do that not only through Amazon and all the usual places, but you know... You can also go to his website, and his website is uh, quite easily DrAllenLyka.com. That's D-R-A-L-L-E-N-L-Y-C-K-A.com. You know, you can follow him, follow him, see how well I do here, uh, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, or on YouTube as well, as you know, uh, you have a blog. You can also listen to uh, Libsyn Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. You also, and I'd like to talk a little bit about this if you don't mind, I would like to discuss with you the creation of a TED Talk as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking with Dr. Alan Leica. And uh, you have a TED Talk, which we can talk about the subject matter, which is, again, probably right along the lines of the book. What is that process? What was that process like for you? Because I've heard some stories. We actually have a, one of the producers of TED Talks here in the Santa Barbara area. And it's been interesting to hear that process. You know... A TED Talk is probably the most difficult talk you're ever going to give in your life because it's got to be unique material. It can't be anything else you've done. And it's got to be, uh, it's got to be uh, creative. It's got to be original. And it's got to be no longer than 12 minutes in length. 
So mm. you've got to really cone it down to a, 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 your best work ever. It should be your best work ever if you're going to be on a TED Talk. Do you have to write it out first? Well, you know, I I applied. I did it in a city just north of Edmonton called Grand Prairie. So I applied and they accepted my talk. And yes, I had to write it out. I had to run it by them. I had to practice it. I had to make sure that it was good. And then getting on that red dot in front of this whole room of thousands of eyeballs staring at you mm -hmm. was probably the most scary experience of my lifetime. Mm. I, I've often contemplated that possibility of getting up there. And yet what goes through my mind is, um, because again, you do have to, as you say, you have to be focused. You've got to be spot on your, your subject, is doing a TED Talk Basically, um, uh, the equivalent of writing the great American novel, you know, and you can't look at it that way, I don't think, because I know a number of people have done more than one TED Talk. So it's not you know, like... They have, and I, I yeah. think what you have to look at as a TED Talk as something that challenges you. It's a new challenge in your lifetime. And if you aspire to that challenge, you should try to do it. You know, there are... TED Talks everywhere on mm -hmm. the face of the earth. And so if you really want to do it, you should do it. You should do something that, that, but remember, it's going to be a challenge. And remember for everyone that's accepted to do a TED, a TED Talk, there's hundreds of rejections. Hmm. Tell me about this particular, you've got, you've got two other books that you've worked on, one in particular with a co-author. And I, I'm hoping that this is this is correct. There hasn't been a typo here. Uh, BLU Blue Talks presents uh, business life and the universe. Yes, business life and the universe. This is a a, a book that uh, that was started by my good friend Corey Poirier, and Corey uh, has started a series of books like this. And you know when we you know I worked with Corey for a number of years. He said, Dr. Leica, how would you like to write a book with me? And I said, really? He said, sure, you know, you've got the stuff, you know, let's get this together. So he got me and 20 other authors to write a chapter in his book. So I'm a co-author of it. And I literally uh, put some of my best ideas into business life in the universe. But business life in the universe is rather unique. It's also a speaking series as well. So I've given three blue talks, just like TED talks in various locales. Mm. I did one of those at Harvard University, by the way. Wow, that must have been something, I'll tell you. Another you... great experience to speak at Harvard. I, I tell you, I, I never thought I'd do that in my lifetime. Yeah, you've also worked with Jack Canfield, who is a local here in, Santa, in the Santa Barbara area. The Pillars yes. of Success. Yes. Jack's a great person, and I've always admired him for everything he's did. Mm. So when the opportunity arise, had arisen to write a book with Jack, I said, I'm jumping at it. And, and that was a great book to write. Now for that one, uh, I was actually awarded an award called the Quilly Award, 
which is the equivalent of an Academy Award for a best-selling author. So I, I, that was that's a nice thing that I have on my mantelpiece, a Quilly Award. You know, you, you know, many as, uh, actors aspire for an Academy Award or an Emmy Award. Well, I got one in the writing field. That's very cool. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, every so often, uh, earlier on, in, earlier in my career, I used to wonder, well, where's my Super Bowl? Where's my World Series? You know, in terms of that that level of competition, in terms of getting some kind of an award or what have you. And I've come to realize that the real reward for me would be that we would actually change the world for the better for all. That would be the greatest gift of all to me and for me and for everyone else, um, you know. Uh, and and so I'm not I'm not, I don't worry about those anymore. And I know you you didn't either. I I never sought any of yeah. this fame and fortune or anything like that. I mean I'm retired. I, yeah. I retired back in 2019. But now what I do is I do a a podcast that has become a syndicated radio show like like you do so my syndicated radio show is now on six days a week and it's reaching millions of people with good news you know my my message is it's not what happens to you it's what you do with what happens exactly exactly one of the other things that's happened to you is that uh, you've been married for almost 40 years uh, with some uh, beautiful children and grandchildren, as you consider them to be, of course, uh, the greatest uh, thing that you have accomplished in your existence here on the planet. Um, and, and your wife is also a doctor, correct? Uh, what yes, uh, what she, field? She's a family practitioner or a family specialist, and that's what she does. Mm. And right now she just does telephone medicine where she talks to people on the phone and does that a couple half days a week, and she's still enjoying doing that. Now, I don't know. I know you've retired. My father, who is 90, has retired. My mother and he have been married for going on 66 years this June. And... Um, when my father retired and we would go visit him on occasion, you know, we'd look look at our watch. Oh, got, got to go because uh, it's Sunday Sunday evening. Got to go because we got to get ready to go to work tomorrow. You know, we got to get things together. And, and my dad would look at his watch and go, not me, I'm retired. <laughs> He'd kind of rub it in. But here's my here's my thinking. And, and uh, I know that on one level you've retired from the medical field. I have no intention of doing any reti retiring other than on my truck. I love doing what I love, uh, what I do so much that, as I, I put it this way, and I, I don't, I don't envy anybody the the uh, um, the task of doing this, but they're going to have to peel my cold dead carcass off the console. <laughs> um, do know, you feel I, the same I, way I'm about that? What I'm done is I've gone on to something else that I love. Yeah. You know, I went from one love to another. And mm. how many people in their lifetime has had that pleasure of doing so many wonderful, you know, when I was a cosmetic doctor, I, I had thousands of happy patients, you know, and it was wonderful. But, yeah. you know, I realized that I wasn't quite as sharp as I used to be. I wasn't doing the things I used to at the same level. 
And I said, this is a young man's sport to, yeah. for somebody else to take over. You recognized so, your limitations is what you're saying. I recognized my limitations and I moved on. And then I went on to this and this has been wonderful. You know, this has been, I reach so many people this way. And, and you know, it's, it's a great thing. Now I'm also a coach for people as well, helping them to get their levels of greatness. So if anybody wants to see me about coaching, go to my website and give me a dingle. Yeah, Write man. me at alan at dralanlica.com. I would love to help other right. people reach their levels of aspirations. Because what I'm seeing out there right now in this post-COVID era, Richard, is people are having problems. Mm -hmm. Their heads mm -hmm. aren't on straight. They're going through those same phases I went through of anger, denial, bargaining, depression. They're going through this lack of purpose in their life. They're going through phases that they just have not, and they don't know how to deal with it. And they really need some direction and some help with all this. Now, I know how to deal with it because I've been there, but the whole world is going through this. The whole world is going through this phase. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, we've actually been talking about it on this program as as one pandemic, hopefully they will declare, comes to an end, another one has already begun, and that's the mental health pandemic. And I, I would, I, I, again, I don't think there's any way for anybody to uh, adequately uh, mentally and emotionally, let alone spiritually, prepare for uh, a pandemic or a, uh, a disaster or what have you, wildfires, which we have experienced here in California, and I know you've had up in Canada as well. Um, but at the same time, we, we've almost ignored that. Uh, we have a program on the station that I work for. It's uh, called Community Alert. Now, the slogan is positive preparation, not if, but when disaster strikes. We almost need something like that for uh, something like a pandemic. Uh, we need to teach. I realize that there are a lot of things being taught in schools today that really don't need to be there. But it seems to me like that's something that we ought to take a look at and say, you know, stuff happens in life. We see it all around us on the news. And there might, there's got to be a way, not so much that we're sitting there waiting for the other shoe to drop, but knowing that the potential is there so that when it does happen, we can more adequately deal with it and not be quite so traumatized. You know, I think that comes from where we stand in our lives and how we mentally prepare for all this. I think people need to get that um, so mental strength and, and endurance to go through all this. You know, I, I think people have to adapt adaptive behaviors because the only thing in life we can be certain of is Richard is change and change is going to be thrust upon us and it's going to be thrust upon us more and more and more. So the people that are going to do best in it are people that have an attitude where they adjust and one of the things they can do is learn to laugh a little bit more and learn to not take things so seriously and not let the small things in life bother them. I mean, look at this pandemic, Richard. We were forced to stay in our homes and not go anywhere. Well, 
you know, that's not a bad thing for us in North America. Our homes are pretty luxurious in both, in many ways. And now I can get everything delivered to my door without even having to go out of my door if I don't want to, you know? Right. It's, it's pretty, it, the world has changed a lot. But the interesting thing is you got to be able to adapt to it and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we actually, that is what we do, whether we like it or not. We do adapt. We just absolutely do. As we adapt here on this program, we're talking with Dr. Alan Leica here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, you, you talk about change. It's the one thing that we're taught to fear, to, to avoid. We need to maintain a, a constancy. You hear this all the time in the news, especially when it comes to the economy. That's implied in the reports that they're giving. Oh, the numbers are low, so things are bad, and we've got to do this, that, or the other thing. And I often have, have wanted to know from economists, what numbers would make you happy? I want to make you happy. What numbers would do that for you? Uh, we need to be. We need to learn how to embrace the concept of change, to love it. Did you ever read the book, Who Moved the Cheese? Great little book was given to me by one of my general station managers back in the eighties, uh, and I said, "Okay, I'll read it." He actually made it mandatory reading. <clears throat> I came back with the book. I gave it back to him after reading it, and I told him, "I said, look, I do not have a problem." with somebody moving the cheese. If you want to move my cheese, you can move it anywhere you want. All I ask is that you tell me where you moved it. <laughs> I don't even care why you moved it. Just just tell me where you where you put it. Um because that's what happens invariably is people, they'll pick something up and they'll move it. I people will come into the radio station I work for and out of uh, something unconscious in their own minds, they'll grab something and they'll be looking at it and then they'll move around in the office and they'll have moved it. And it's like, where did that, where did that pencil sharpener go? Or where did that stapler go or what have you? Um, so it's, it's just really interesting uh, that we, we need to develop, I think that mentality that change is the constant. I love change. Bring it on. Uh, there's a beautiful line in a song. Um, it goes like this, uh, changes somehow frighten me. Still, I have to smile. It turns me on to think of growing old. That's a line from a song by John Denver. Um, and uh, I think that, uh, yeah, okay, changes, they can be frightening, depending upon what they are. Um, but I'm still going to smile regardless of what it is. I mean, I've had situations in my life. I had a lens implant in 96, uh, Doc. And I went from legally blind to being able to drive. I drove through L.A. traffic. I was born and raised in Phoenix. Uh, I drove through L.A. traffic. Oh, my God, what a... I was wild. It was great. And um, I still try to keep that sense of wonder and awe in regards to that ability that I didn't have for 36 years of my life. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think every day in our life, every day a person lives, they should literally look at something with awe. Yeah. And they should challenge themselves a bit every day. And they should do something every day for themselves. And they should do something every day for others. Mm. And they should also evaluate 
their plans and have concrete things. Be aware of things, because if they don't, they're not enjoying that day of their life, which they've been given, which they might not have had. Well, um, I would like to talk as we continue. I would like to talk about those 13 pearls, golden pearls. I should be more specific as they are spoken of in the work that you have uh, brought to our attention in regards to, of course, the secrets to living a fantastic life, pearls of success, as we continue here with do the author, Dr. Alan Laika, on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we want to dive now with Dr. Alan Laika into a few of the golden pearls. There are 13 of them in your book. Uh, and first of all, are they put in any particular order, uh, 1, to t 1 to 13, or... Do you just you kind of pick one and, and you go with it? You know, these are written in such a way that you can pick one and you will get a full breakfast, lunch, and dinner out of the whole story. And so it, it starts, first of all, with a quote from some authority on it. And then it goes into a little story to carry you into the meeting. And then there's this dialogue that Harriet and I had uh, about you know, the pearl while we were writing it. So mm -hmm. it, it really is, it was really a work in progress that was done while we were writing it. And mm -hmm. it really is a unique piece of work that you can dive in at many, many different levels, depending on how you want to do that. Can you give us one of those pearls? Uh, maybe let's take a look at maybe current events that we're, we're facing and, uh, well, let me tell you my, one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, yeah, please. Maybe if we have time even for two, we'll go to two. Let's do two. We've got well, plenty of time. Let's talk about love. Okay. Love. <laughs> Here's the quote. I believe that dreaming is stronger than reality. Desire is more potent than apathy. Hope is more powerful than despair. Joy always triumphs over sorrow. That laughter is the ultimate cure for man's foibles. And I believe that love is stronger than hate, the greatest gift of all. How do I know that? I have been fortunate to experience them all. Hmm. That's a quote from myself. Very, very nice. I, I find that as I grow not just in grow in awareness and consciousness, but also in age, 61 years of age. <clears throat> it could be 62 very soon. Uh, and it's real interesting how uh, I've, I've looked at that. Um, when we come into this world, we don't get a birthday until we've been here for a year. So the reality is when I hit 62, I will have completed 62 years, less than a puff of smoke on this planet. But... As I have been here, um, I find that my awareness seems to be broadening to take into an, and to encompass others in terms of the reality that we're all connected, that we all, we affect one another. And that to me is, it, it's not, it's, it's, 
the best, I, I just put it this way. It's an inescapable, in my opinion, an inescapable, if you, even if you tried, uh, universal fact or law, if you will. I think so. I think so. Mm. I, I think it's inescapable that if we let it happen, we will hopefully get closer to others. If we don't let it happen, we're ultimately going to have World War III that is looming on this planet. Yeah. Well, I've shared this uh, concept with uh, folks, and that is that uh, <clears throat> shortly after the invasion, uh, what went through my mind was this, this heartfelt desire, if I had the wherewithal uh, and the actual courage to do this, I would get myself a plane ticket to Moscow. Get off that plane. I'm going to the Kremlin. You aren't stopping me. I'm going in. I'm going to grab that little nutball by the ears and say, this is the 21st century. This is not how we do things. You are in a perpetual timeout. Get over in the corner and sit down and shut up. Um, it just, it's, it's like, that's kind of how I look at where we are today. We're in the 21st century. When I was a kid growing up watching the Jetsons, another one of those wonderful cartoons, I hoped that when we hit the 21st century, we'd have flying cars and we'd have all of the wonderful things that, you know, you saw in that, that cartoon. Uh, and yeah, they're starting to come out with flying cars. And yeah, we got some pretty tall buildings and, and so forth. Yeah. Uh, but we're still playing the same old silly, silly games uh, that we've been playing for, well, quite honestly, for centuries. Um, are you? And, and I'm going to. I'm going to put this out there, and you please respond. I'm going to guess that you are a very optimistic person, especially when it comes to the, our future. You know, I'd like to, but in my book, I write about two wolves. It's a Navajo story. Ah, yes. And the two wolves are a good wolf and a bad wolf. And the question the young person asks the master is, which wolf wins? And the answer is, the one that you feed. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. So I'm very realistic as well. We have the potential of having the best years of our lives. We also have the huge potential of having the worst years of our lives. And my goal, I think, is to try and make those best years. My goal is to try and make those years what they are. My goal is really to try and change this from that evil, ugly voice that's trying to get up into that much better voice that should be there. Yeah. Well, we need to keep listening. We need to keep listening to that inner voice of ours. We, you know, I mentioned that at the beginning of the program about how we promote uh, the 2020s, the decade of, the perf of perfect vision where you go in you go within and you listen to that still small voice that's where you get that perfect vision is from that still small voice uh, is is there a pearl a golden pearl that maybe speaks to uh, to that particular aspect well let me tell you another pearl that i think can really help change the day for everybody okay you know there was a carpenter and his name was fred and he'd worked his whole life for one company so at the age of 65, he had lost his enthusiasm and he decided he didn't want to do it any longer. So he went to his boss. He said, I'm done. I just can't do this anymore. The boss was taken aback. He said, Fred, Fred, what are you doing? This is, you know, this company has been built by you. 
every house that we've ever built, you've had your hands on. So he thought for me and said, Fred, can you do just one more thing for me before you leave? Fred said, of course, I've loved it here. This has been the only job I've ever had. The boss said, just build me one more house. You're my master carpenter. Could you please do this for me? And Fred said, of course, but his heart wasn't into it. He'd drive it, he'd, he'd take his ass to work every day and just <laughs> get there. He'd just go through the motions and, and he got it done. But you know, a miracle happened and that's the house passed inspection, even though it was shoddy workmanship. Mm. So he went back to his boss and he turned over the keys from the house over to the boss and said, I'm done. He said, wait, wait, Fred. He called the boss, called everybody in the office and said, we're going to have a party. This is Fred's last day. He's going to be happy, but I'm going to be very sad. And he said, Fred, I've got a parting gift for you. Here's the keys to the last house you've ever built. May you live in it with all the enthusiasm you've given me all the days of your life. Now, you see, the way I tell you that story, Richard, is because enthusiasm is not a Monday thing. It's not a Friday thing. It's not a Wednesday thing. It's something you have to carry to the task every day. And that's what makes the world a better place. That's what makes the world a much better place. So if you carry that enthusiasm on your arm, on your heartstrings, you will be there and you will make the world a better place every day that you do it. Yeah. You know, I have a an interesting, um, uh, I, I call it a dichotomy. I will work all day long, all week long, and <clears throat> there are some that I really would rather not do some additional work for. And I might grumble about it to somebody else, sort of venting, okay, getting the, getting the energy out. I, you know what? This is ridiculous. I don't want to do that. I, I need to, I, I got to go off and do something else and da 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 Invariably, I will turn around without saying a word and I will go ahead and do what it is that they asked me to do anyway because that's who I am. I, I, I can't just, I might grumble initially, but I still enjoy doing those things, okay? So it wouldn't be shoddy workmanship. It would just be, all right, I'm going to grumble over here, but I'll be having fun when I'm actually doing it because that's, that's who I am. That's my integrity, you know? And, uh, you know, and, and I'm not saying that that happens very often, but it, it happens to all of us. But it's kind of like, I guess I could put it this way. I kind of suck it up and say, you know what? This is my job. This is what I've chosen to do. So get with the program and go ahead and take care. Of it. And then once you've taken care of it, guess what? It's done. And yeah. you can smile and say, okay, I did it. I did it. In spite of the fact that I... I may have grumbled initially. Well, well yeah, I, I'm a lot like you. You know, yesterday I flew back from San Diego to Edmonton. It was a three flights I had to go on. I had to go from San Diego to San Francisco, San Francisco to Vancouver, Vancouver to Edmonton. So it was like trip after trip after trip. So I got in after midnight. I was beat tired. Got up this morning, seven o'clock. Got back into this chair. And I'm smiling and just doing great. Mm -hmm. I'm just loving it. What can I say? This is what I love to do. 
Uh, you've seen, I'm sure, the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with Steve Martin and John Candy. Yes. Well, at Christmas time, I went to uh, Phoenix from Santa Barbara, <clears throat> and um, I managed to get there uh, on uh, right around 200 bucks round trip because I took the train from Santa Barbara to to, to uh, Burbank. Then I took a flight from Burbank to Phoenix, and then, of course, the round trip the same way. Now, the trip itself, flying, uh, going to and fro, that was, that was the real challenge. But through all of the, uh, shall we say, hurdles, I was, I was smiling. I was actually having a good time because I'm going, look where I am. I'm sitting here on the train. Okay, so the train is just sitting here. Granted, it's going to move eventually. This is temporary. All right, um, I'm going to make it to my flight, no problem. And and uh, you know, and all of those things, and um, and it was a great uh, three or four days around Christmas. And I got to of course see my family and my mother and my father. And uh, I, it's like that's what I try to share with others. Is it's like. Yeah, I get that you've got these hurdles, but just imagine you're actually doing that, okay? Uh, if I was driving in L.A. traffic back in 97, 98, 99, shortly after my lens implant, and it was wall-to-wall, -wall, I was on the 405 and we were stalled, I'd still be smiling because I'm sitting in the driver's seat on the 405 in Los Angeles in rush hour traffic that I never thought I would ever be doing. That's so we right. need to look for those, uh, what, those blessings, those uh, uh, opportunities to say, hey, this is pretty cool. You know, that's what we have to look at. You know, you can look at, you know, if you're given a load of lemons, you could say, geez, I got lemons. Or you can make lemonade out of it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you would be much better advised to make lemonade out of it than gripe about the lemons that you've got. Yeah, exactly. I think you would be much better advised. I think it was uh, Winston Churchill said, a pessimist sees uh, dour in every opportunity where an optimist finds opportunity in, in, every, in everything around him. Yeah. So I, I think you really need to look at the opportunities that are there, not at anything else. Well, when they declared the pandemic two years ago, uh, that was what went through my mind. Uh, I don't want anybody to get sick or die. I really would rather that not be. But imagine the opportunities that we don't even know about yet that are before us because we decided to do something different. Whether we liked it or not is irrelevant. The reality was we were asked to stay home. And by the way, they asked us to stay home. They didn't say you had to stay inside. You could go out in your yard. Come on. But that's what went through my mind was the opportunities. And look at some of the businesses that have sprung up uh, initially. And of course, those businesses will go by the wayside when masks are no longer needed. But these mom and pop industries where people were making masks and face coverings and, and PPE and all of this kind of stuff, and they stepped up. That was, the, that was such a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. It really was. Yeah, for sure. And... You know, the amazing thing is we found something that saved the human race within six months, the vaccines that came out. Yeah. You know, they literally were formulated from nothing within a six-month period of time. That is quite miraculous in and of itself. We're talking with Dr. Alan Laika here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And 
The conversation that we're having surrounds the book that we've been talking about throughout and other things as well, The Secrets. They aren't really secrets because all you have to do is get yourself a copy of the book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, Pearls of Success. Golden pearls, may I add. Go to dr. A-L-L-E-N-L-Y-C-K-A dot com. That's Dr. Alan dot com. And you gave out your email address for people who want to get in touch with you. Sure, and I'm going to give out two things. One is my email. Yes. Alan, A-L-L-E-N mm-hmm. at Dr. D-R. A-L-L-E-N, Lyca, L-Y-C-K-A dot com. And write me if you have any questions or even a personal problem. I would love to put 15 minutes aside for you and talk to you. Or you can call me at 780-907-5971. Now, if I'm busy with something else, you'll be put to my messaging system. But give me a call. I'd love to talk to you or help you in any way I can. Wow. That's... (laughs) Uh, on the one hand, I'm going, boy, he's opening himself up there. But that's the whole point. We have to open ourselves up, don't we? You know, this is the world we live in. You can hide if you want to. But, you know, I, I would love to help people if they need some help. It's a very interesting life we live in, and it's the idea to make it as interesting as we can. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, I have... Uh, I have three final questions that I ask all of my guests, and I, uh, you may have answered them uh, throughout the program, but I like to ask them directly. Before I do, I need to let you, the listener and the viewer, know that you're listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., 9 a.m. on Wednesdays for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And uh, we, pod- we stream those live at richarddugan.com. And then we have the podcasts. And uh, those podcasts are on SoundCloud and iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. You can also watch these interviews at YouTube. Tell me your story, Richard Dugan. And uh, you can uh, subscribe to them as well. I hope you will, so that every time I put up new interviews, some weeks there are three, four, and five, other weeks not so many, but you will get notified if you subscribe. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing, we'd greatly appreciate that as well. We have a PayPal account. It's for your security as well as ours, and every contribution is greatly appreciated and put towards the work that we are doing here at Tell Me Your Story. We also ask you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, where we want you to spend some time meditating if you can or just sitting quietly listening to that still small voice. And as I have said many times on this program, it's time now for the uh, f- uh, the rapid fire round of questions uh, during our game show called Tell Me Your Story as we ask the three questions that we put to all of our guests. And the first of those three is, who is Alan Stephen Leica? Dr. Alan Stephen Leica is a very blessed person who was supposed to die in 2003 and is living still in 2022 and enjoying every minute of a life that was not supposed to be. Hmm. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve with the work that you're doing now? I hope that I can change people to realize that it's not what happens to them, it's what they do with what happens. And finally, what is your life's purpose? 
you know, my life's purpose is simply to do the best I can in every situation I can. And in this part of my life, to help as many people as I can in that process. Well, Dr. Alan Stephen Laika, thank you again for joining us on the program. It has been a real pleasure to not only meet you, but talk with you about the work that you've been doing, both helping people physically uh, throughout your career, but now on a, a mental, emotional, and spiritual level. And uh, we applaud you for the work that you were doing and hope that uh, you will be around for, I'm going to put it this way, not for a long time, but for as long as you want to be here uh, doing that. Because one day you're going to say, you know what? I've done everything I can do. I've helped all the people right now. And uh, maybe I'll come back, but I'm good to go. <laughs> you know, Warren Buffett, uh, one of the richest men and most intelligent men in the world, once said, just tell me where I'm going to die. And then I just won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, again, uh, Alan, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Richard. It was my pleasure. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.